0: All right, let me go ahead and start here. We'll um, kind of chug along here for a minute. Let me do a quick, quick rewind for us uh, as we kind of roll through the Stuck series. We got two more weeks, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, in, the, in the Stuck series, what? Tonight and next week, yes. No, but in the series itself oh, for Sunday morning. Oh. It goes two weeks. Um, we'll wrap up the Stuck series. The next series we're going to do is entitled um, Ride for the Brand. Uh, if you're familiar with Yellowstone, that's a phrase that they use often Yellowstone. is also, also an old cowboy phrase. Um, and we will wrap that up um, with the first ever uh, 434 Rodeo Sunday. The following week, Ken Smith will be here for prime time um, and will speak to us on, on October 15th. And then um, after that, of course, we're rolling toward uh, toward the holidays. So, Kind of where we're going, we're going to keep building on these ideas we've been talking about. And if you're getting ready to ask me what Rodeo Sunday is, you have to come find out. Um, but, um, but we've been building each week on this idea that Jesus doesn't want more from you, um, He wants more of you. Big idea. That's a, that's a, that is a huge theological concept, um, but we don't really think of it as theology, but it really is. It's about connecting. And we we're talking about that over the last few minutes. Um, we introduced you to a word, arrow, which means to. Um, lift up or cut off, and that really does matter in understanding the passage. Knowing that word is the difference between understanding that passage and walking away confused. And so for many, um, the fact that we have now looked at that word, or at least you're familiar with that word, is very helpful in understanding. I think it is essential in understanding the fullness of the passage, to really understand the dynamic of what it means for that, for that very unique breakdown. You know, because notice that Jesus doesn't say that he's the gardener. Jesus is the vine. God is the gardener. We connect to Jesus, and God does his work. And that's exactly what Jesus does on the cross. Now, remember, when Jesus is saying this, he's getting ready to die. And so that whole concept of Jesus and God and, and, and then the Holy Spirit, of course, is a completely foreign concept to these guys at this point. But if you start thinking about how even in the illustration, Jesus is setting up the very unique way that he is going to deal with us in the days ahead. Because our connection to the Father is through the Son. That's how we connect to him. We connect to him in a way that they never could before. And so when these guys are hearing that, you have to think of what a foreign idea that was. If they really thought about what Jesus was laying out So we're connected to you, and God does the pruning because we're drawing our life from you. I mean, that that is revolutionary thought, Uh, and we don't have enough time to even cover that tonight or in a four-week series or a six-week series, but it's absolutely huge. Um, And so this word then becomes wildly important for these guys who are trying to understand what it is that Jesus is saying on the night before He dies, but they don't know he's getting ready to die yet. And so for all those moments that they'll go back and remember his last words in that conversation, this will resonate over and over and over again. And then when the arrival of the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit comes to remind them of what they've been taught. (laughs) So all of a sudden this blows up in their life. I mean, this, this, this will revolutionize and change their trajectory of everything they do from that moment forward. It's that big of a passage. Um, and we just call it, you know, John 15. But I mean, it's a big, it's a big, it's a big, big idea, is in there? Uh, and so this word becomes important. Um, I said to you uh, this past Sunday, you know, don't be careful, be competent. And competency isn't just doing something right. To do something right doesn't make you competent. But competency is doing something over and over and over and over and over and over and over again so you never get it wrong. Competency comes when it becomes second nature to you. When you just have done it so many times and the repetition is there, the good, the bad, the ugly, the mistakes, the correct parts, all those things that you've done. You do it so many times that you almost can do it on autopilot And then out of that competency, then you can start appreciating what it is that you're doing. I think one of the reasons we don't appreciate or value the connection to God is because we don't do it well enough. But if we kept doing it over and over and over again and really started getting it right, then we could really start appreciating the fullness that God gives us because we're connected to him. But most of us don't connect well enough to ever enjoy that part of it. So the abundant life is kind of elusive because we're just so busy about kind of checking the boxes and trying to get it right and messing up and trying to come back and fighting discouragement, which we've been talking about. And all the things that the enemy would say, um, you know, you can't be close to God because of this. And so this is why the challenge has been do one thing. Do one thing that will connect you to God better. And do it over and over and over and over again, you're chasing competency here. And you're being highly functional and healthy when you do it. And so that was what we were talking about there. Um, we mentioned it again, connection, not production, uh, is where um, Jesus is putting the emphasis. And we've, we've kind of got inverted that. We've gotten it backwards. Um, not, not for lack of wanting to get it right, just because we just didn't do it right. It's not that we set out to say, yeah, I want to do it right. I want to screw it up and mess it up. We don't do it that way, but we just have missed the point. The main point is the connection. When you get the connection right, then the production comes and the fruit comes. Leanne mentioned it. There's a fruit, fruit of the Spirit, not fruits. We've talked about that before. It's not fruits of the Spirit. It's fruit of the Spirit. One fruit, multiple flavors. Okay? And that's what Jesus it's, it's t- I mean, that's the breakdown of it. That's what he's talking about. You will produce fruit, um, but you don't do that until you're connected. And there's a, you know, there, there, there's just no other way around that. That's where the, that's where it comes from. And then um, we are now in this particular unpacking, talking about the four sticky words. I know you remember them. Uh, what are they? So proud because you said so. <laughs> <laughs> Good. All right. And we've been talking about how the, uh, the enemy does really like to, to keep us discouraged, to keep us distracted. Um, as much as we don't always like or feel comfortable about it, someone said uh, to me, uh, even in a conversation today, you know, I just, I look at the storms and I look at the world around us and I look at the stuff. And this is what it means when creation starts to groan, right? And I said, yes. This is what the Bible's talking about with all of creation groaning as time goes by. We are, again, rolling toward what is the end times. Now, will it happen in a lifetime? I don't know. Happened in the kids' lifetime? I don't know. We're just a day closer. But this, what you're seeing is the groaning where creation uh, you know, groans under, under the weight of sin that has entered the world. And it's easy to look at that and, and get discouraged. Satan would love nothing more than to distract you or have you look at the shiny object. Uh, you know, John talked about if we're good at anything, we're good at wandering away, right? We're, good. we're always chasing a shiny object, you know. And it's not that we, and again, there's not an evil intent when we do it. But it's how Satan distracts us. There's a shiny object out there. You know, anything to take your attention away. And, and we end up worshiping at the wrong place and the wrong altar. We're going to talk about that actually a little bit on Sunday. Because Sunday we get into the passage, part of the passage, where we're not going really, you know, to cut, cut you up and burn you. But we're going to prune you. I don't like that. We're talking about the Pruning. It takes place. What that gardener's going to do. You know how I prune sometimes? And we're going to talk about pruning. And, and, I'm, and they're not the prunes that you used to eat. To, well, anyway, it's, it's, it's something else. It's something else all together. That's a, different, that's, that's a, whole, different, that's a whole different kind of pruning. Um, and I'm sure there's an illustration, but I don't have it right now. So anyway. Um, but last week we were wrapping up, and we want to pick right back up where we were at. Um, we talked about you know discouragement and how, and how Peter responded to Jesus by simply saying, because you said so. And I said, that is a key to staying connected. You know, why do I have to do it this way? Well, I don't know, but because I said so, do it this way, it's better for you. Every parent has said that to a child, the child doesn't like to hear it. You do not like to hear it. When you were a kid, if you have kids, your kids don't like to hear it. When other people say it to you, when, I mean, even as an adult, no one likes to be told what to do. It is one of the hardest things to do is to submit to someone who basically is saying, look, I don't have time right now to tell you why we're going to do it this way, but just do it because I said so. Okay. And at that moment, you will make a choice. Do you trust the person saying it enough to believe that what they're doing is best? Uh, So for Simon Peter, he learns that lesson. I told you last week as we were wrapping up, discouragement is not an object. It's not something that you can see or touch. It doesn't have weight or mass. But it doesn't stop from holding you back or weighing you down. Isn't that amazing? You can't see it, you can't touch it. But it will weigh you down and hold you back. It has that kind of power. One of Satan's greatest tools is discouragement. If you get discouraged at that moment, you have taken a glimpse, a glimpse away from the Father, and learning to to, to catch discouragement and cut it off at the pass, so to speak, is huge, huge, in learning to stay connected. And so tonight, we're going to go to the book of um, 1 Samuel. So if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Samuel, uh, and we're going to look at the story that you probably are familiar with, of Hannah. Hannah. Um, and she is an Old Testament case of someone who understood discouragement. Hannah's way wasn't working. Or to put it another way, things weren't working out her way. Uh, we read about her story in the book of 1 Samuel. When we meet her, she is already discouraged. In fact, um, she's been discouraged for a long time. Somebody read 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 2 out loud for us, please. Loud and proud. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other, Kanaya. Kanai had children, but Hannah had none. <laughs> now you would think that the one that had children would be discouraged. I knew where you were going. I knew exactly where you were going, John Barber. Um, anyway, it tells us, uh, let's kind of get into the story, because to, to, to understand the story is to understand the solution. All right, Hannah is married to a man named Elkanah, Elkanah. Um, he, the passage you just heard says he has two wives, Hannah and then Panina is actually um, the way that they tell you to pronounce it, but I will go with whatever you want to throw. Um, Panina had children, but Hannah had none. And so the discouragement in the passage comes from the fact that Hannah hasn't been able to conceive. Um, it's one thing to deal with disappointment, uh, and know you have the power to turn things around. I mean, it may, it may not be easy, but you know, there's times if you, if you've got some emotional struggle going on in your life, you, you will, you, there are, you know, there are people you can reach out to, to get help that would encourage you. Maybe there's a counselor, maybe there's a, a therapist somewhere, but I mean, you know, but there's some things that you would do that throw out lifelines that you can do. There's some action you can take, um, if you uh, want to get in shape, you know, you can start doing crunches like I talked about on Sunday. <laughs> or you can go to a gym and get in better shape than that if you really want to. Um, but, you know, but, but you don't have to stay where you are for the most part. I mean, if you want to get in shape, there's a way, there's a path forward, and it involves some effort. But, you know, you can fix that when you're discouraged about, you know, you look in the mirror, and you go, Oh, I got to do something about this. Now, if you look in the mirror and say, yeah, nothing I need to do about this. That's a whole different problem. Um, but... But if you, if, if you're discouraged, there's a way to go. Um, but discouragement, that discouragement dial really gets turned up. Remember the wheel of emotion from first the first week that really gets intense when there's nowhere you can go because you don't have any control over the situation. Um, You get a diagnosis you don't want to hear, you can't really do a whole lot about that. There's a form of treatment, but you can't change that diagnosis. Um, You can't make someone feel differently than they do. Uh, You can't change the way that others feel or act. That's not within your power to do that. Um, You can't undo a decision of your past. You just have to move forward, away from it. And the quicker you can do that, the better off you are. And it's a spiritual thing to do, too. But when things aren't going your way, discouragement will often compound the problem. And if you go and you do a deeper dive into the story, there's more things to discover here. Um, In Hannah's context, though, her infertility was overwhelmingly discouraging. Um, Having a child for a woman in that culture was her primary purpose as a woman. That's the most important contribution that she could bring to the household as a wife. That was her role. That was her job. That's what she was supposed to do. Society would not have felt compassion for her, by the way. A woman who could not have kids was looked down upon. She was ridiculed. It was seen as sin in her life. Um... Most would conclude that she, for whatever reason, had been cursed by God. So God had done it as punishment to her. That's where she is. That's the world that she lives in. So she's discouraged, needless to say. Um, Discouragement will try to convince you that what you're dealing with is God's fault. And that you can only conclude that God is against you. See, that's the worst part about discouragement. If we don't keep it in the right perspective, discouragement will, will, will manifest itself and it will start blossoming and grow because if, it's not, if life isn't working out the way we hoped, then we have to blame somebody and eventually you run out of people to blame, so you blame God. And in that moment, the enemy uses, again, discouragement as a weapon and he can get you thinking just for a moment that God is against you. And guess what? You don't want to connect anymore. You don't want to connect as well. And discouragement is something that all of us battle from time to time. Back to the story. Hannah is married to Elkanah, but Elkanah has a second wife. Now, it is likely that Elkanah probably married Hannah first, and then, because she wasn't able to have kids, decided to marry Peninnah. This is one of the examples of polygamy in Scripture, okay? So let me, let me say something about that, though. Um, don't confuse the examples as endorsements. Uh, there's a principle in there somewhere. Don't take that example as an endorsement. Every instance of polygamy in the Bible seems to bring nothing but problems. That's the biblical model, okay? Remember so David, really Oh, yeah, David was a mess, um, <laughs> polygamy is never supported in Scripture, by the way. Instead, every example of polygamy serves as a warning. It's a horrible idea, and it's not what God wanted. (laughs) So no matter what the Discovery Channel would tell you, (laughs) it's not going to end well And most don't get a TV contract. Now, I'm sure Elkanah was discouraged when Hannah couldn't bear kids. So in that moment, Elkanah's was finding that life wasn't going his way either. So he decided to take, himself, take his life into his own hands and take a do-it-yourself approach to this problem. He went out and got another wife. <laughs> if the first one I married can't give me kids, I'll just give me another one. Because again, we're talking about an era where that was allowable, um, not preferable to God, but it was allowable. Um, and at this things, at that moment, he was doing things his way And he also wasn't doing things God's way. And we make a crucial, serious miscalculation when we try to fix discouragement in the wrong way. Our do-it-yourself approach, remember we called it the BS factor, right? The bootstrap factor. You know, bootstrapping doesn't always turn out very well. Um, and it leads to greater discouragement. Elkanah's do-it-yourself approach led him um, to turn down the discouragement dial for a minute, Um, but in the long run, it was going to create more heartache. So Elkanah, um, when things don't go the way he wants with Hannah, marries a second wife, Penina, and it makes things worse. But something else happened that always happens. When he made the mistake of trying to do it and fix it himself, the ripple effect of that was it made it worse for Hannah. And so we go back to the passage, 1 Samuel 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 6 through 7. Somebody read that out loud for us, please. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her Bible kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord... Her arrival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Every year, Elkanah took his two wives to visit Shiloh, which was about a 20-mile journey. Now, in this moment, there's a lot that I would like to say about Elkanah and his decisions to take family vacations. (laughs) This is another biblical model where every family vacation is not good, and sometimes they can go horribly wrong which is why some people don't take them. <laughs> because I read 1 Samuel, I guess. Anyway, the passage tells us specifically that Penina, is, oh, she's a prize. She taunted Hannah and made fun of her because God kept her from having children. How do we know that? Well, that's what the passage says, and God had closed her womb. So, she made fun of her. Penina would taught Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. And Hannah would be reduced to tears and wouldn't even eat. Her, Hannah's discouragement dial gets turned up by an even more difficult person. And, and Hannah was trying to cope best she could. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure that she read that book, Have a New Sister Wife, by Friday. But nothing seemed to change. She couldn't make it better. But look, catch, go back and catch the phrase in 1 Samuel seven. Um, that serves as a really good definition for discouragement. Somebody read verse seven again. This went on. Uh, this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her, till she wept in lamentation. Yeah, it went on year after year. So it wasn't just a one and done thing. Hannah had to put up with Penina year after year after year ridiculing her and discouraging her and making fun of her. And this was now an annual thing that happened. So every trip to the tabernacle equated to the fact that she was going to have to put up with the abuse that she was going to take from her sister wife. And that's how it happened. Discouragement continues to grow. Now The story, um, it it, it doesn't get better because her situation is desperate. She's in tears and she's so upset that she can't eat. Some of you know that degree of discouragement. Some of you have been so discouraged about something that you lose sleep at night. Some of you have had discouragement to the point where you've lost your appetite. Um, Emotional exhaustion has turned into physical exhaustion. The troubles consume you for a while. Um, you do your best to put it in a compartment somewhere, but it just kind of leaks out everywhere and you're discouraged. And, and, and the ripple effect is you're no fun to be around either. You ain't no prize when you get discouraged, just so you know. I mean, lest we think that the enemy doesn't know what he's doing. If the enemy can discourage you, he makes you miserable, but he makes the people in your orbit miserable as well. Because nobody likes to hang around someone who's discouraged all the time, right? We all know that. You ever see the show Shark Tank? You watch that show? I, I watch it sometimes. I don't always understand it, but I watch it. I, I watch people plead for investors. There was an invention a few years ago on Shark Tank called the skinny mirror. I'm sure you saw this. This legit. This mirror uses curved glass to create an optical illusion so the user will look about 10 pounds thinner. That's a real deal. (laughs) It was originally created for individuals, but the creators found that retailers were interested in the mirror because it helped them sell clothing, and that's what the Shark Tank guys jumped on. So, when you try on clothes in a store that's using the skinny mirror, and you look in the mirror, it looks like those clothes fit. And you're more likely to make a purchase. Now, what is interesting about the mirror is due to some federal laws, the manufacturers don't try to hide what it is. As a matter of fact, the next time... (laughs) Same law, right? It's another effect, right? Um, In fact, the Skinny Mirror people put their name right on the mirror. So if you go to a store and try on some clothes, my advice would be look in the lower right-hand corner of that mirror to see if it's a Skinny Mirror. Because if you see the Skinny Mirror logo, you ain't that little now I was thinking (laughs) because the genius switch is always on (laughs) you could probably develop an entire product line around the idea because that's our preferred way of dealing with discouragement right denial I'm not that fat I'm skinnier than that okay so what if we could get a skinny scale (laughs) so every time you step on the scale at home it gives you a weight that's about 10 pounds lighter than reality. I mean, no, it's there, but my scale's not the only way it is. That's not a bad idea. And that way, you can see that your scale matches up with what you're looking at in your skinny mirror. <laughs> and then you add one more thing to it. I would call them the skinny glasses. Because you realize that the skinny mirror makes you look great, and your skinny scale validates it. So what could be more significant than what you actually see? So now you can go to the eye doctor and get you a pair of skinny <laughs> glasses. So when you look at the mirror at yourself or any place else, you will see the world as you want to see it. Are you need um, glasses for everybody else to huh? <laughs> <laughs> see I mean... You just cured obesity in America. I did. I know. I know. I, I'm not, because we, we, have, we have to raise funds to build a building. And so these ideas are going to be shared with you in the month of October. Wow. Anyway, but when our way isn't working, we try anything we can. I mean, that's, the Skinny mirrors a real deal. The rest of the stuff I was just making up. The Skinny Mirror is a real deal. Um, and and they, they brand them that way. And so when you, you know, buy clothes wherever you go, you know, you just be wise. A lot of people don't do that like they used to, but I mean there, there, used, there used to be a big deal when you go to the mall. I mean, you ever have to wait in a line to try on clothes at Abercrombie & Fitch or all those places or whatever the, you know, I, I, you know it, 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 when I go buy clothes there, it's just a disaster, you have to wait all day. Anyway um, I have a unique ability, a superpower if you will I can walk into a supermarket and I can choose the slowest line in the store. It's like a predestination. It is. Uh, Because God has decided that I have to learn patience and so it doesn't matter. Now, it may not be the longest line when I get in it. But inevitably, the person two people up from me is a bonehead. (laughs) And they're going to do something that is so dumb that it's going to shut down that line and I'm going to stand there And go through that agonizing, do I stay, do I go? Because here's what I know. I guarantee you, as soon as I move to another line, that line slows down. And the line I exited, all of a sudden, picks up. All problems are solved. It's like a magical thing happens and everything works. Now, I don't know if you guys do that or not. Um, But here's what I know. And I've learned this from waiting in long lines. I don't just dis- get discouraged if I don't compare. See, my line is fine as long as I'm not watching other lines. But my frustration, my discouragement, comes when I start comparing my line to other lines. And if I compare, I become discouraged. Guess what? In your life, discouragement comes when you start comparing. And our dial gets turned way up when our way isn't working. I call it the panina effect. It's one thing to be barren. It's another thing to be living in a house where your husband's other wife, who's popping out kids all the time, is always flaunting the fact that she can pop out a kid whenever she wants in front of your face. Now, that's a picture, isn't it? And um, it was especially difficult when they loaded up in the family truckster and them and the Griswolds traveled to Wally World to go to the temple only to have the moose at the front go, Sorry, you don't have any kids. You can't come in. That's what happens in my translation of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 8 says, Elkanah tries to confront his wife. He says... Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkina would ask. Pause for just a moment. I love verse 8. So far, he's doing really good. He's asking what's wrong with her when she's feeling down. And now is the time. Why are we talking? Because he's solving it like a man. Why are we talking? This is not family talk time. Lisa, be quiet. I right. I am making a spiritual point here. Okay. Okay. Elkanah is doing really well at this point. He's asking his wife why she's upset. Now is a time for him to quiet, be quiet and learn to listen. But that's not what he does because he doesn't shut up. He continues, why aren't you eating? Then he says, why be downhearted just because you have no children? Then he adds, you have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? Come on, bro. Really? This guy's got two wives, and he's acting like he's on the JV team. The man don't know what he does. Elkanah does good at the beginning. He should have shut up. <laughs> Why are you crying, hon? I know. Just shut up and listen. Even if you disagree, even if you're not going to change anything, just shut up and listen. Oh, no. Why aren't you eating? Is it because you can't birth children like Benita? You got me! Look at me! Put on your skinny glasses. Look at the skinny mirror. You got me. Isn't that, a, isn't that better than having 10 kids? And at that moment, Elkanah had a shot at the beginning of that to turn her discouragement dial down a little bit if he just would have listened. But he doesn't. He does two things that you never want to do when someone's discouraged. First, and I, I'm, I'm really, I've had to study up on this <laughs> to be able to share this with you. I have full disclosure at that moment, uh, full, full disclosure at this, that moment. I, I just want to be able to share it with you, um, but I'm trying to help you. Um, first, he minimizes her feelings. A quote. Why should you be discouraged just because you have no children? I mean, he's trying to fix the problem by pretending it's not a big deal. <laughs> it's a blind beer, not a skinny <laughs> <laughs> See, uh, Hannah already feels like there's something wrong with her. Okay? And so he's trying to tell her, there's something wrong with you for feeling like there's something wrong with you. Well, that's just crazy. I go back to what I said. The boy's on the JV team. He ain't got a lick of sense. I don't even know how he got two wives. Second, oh, you know, and, and, and ultimately, he's trying to deal with discouragement this way. Um, let me say something that will make you feel worse than you already feel. And that way you won't be as discouraged as you were before we started. See, see this is what, in the household, and, and, and ladies don't listen. Men, this is what happens when you enter into a conversation that is designed to provoke you and you try to fix it, and you end up having a fight over something that wasn't the fight to begin with. See, you 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 <laughs> it's when you, you you step into and create a fight that you didn't need to have that could have been prevented by just shutting your mouth and going, mm-hmm. 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 Just Okay, ladies, you can listen again. Seconds. <laughs> <laughs> he makes it even worse by assuming that he's enough to make it better. Yes. Yeah. it's that God complex, right? Aren't, God. <laughs> aren't I worth more than 10 sons? Let me translate. Do you know how lucky you are to be married to me, woman? How could you ever be discouraged when you're married to such a good looking hunk of man like me? That's in essence what he was saying to her. Um, so he doesn't really listen to how she feels. He doesn't really care how she feels. He's trying to fix her. <laughs> wow, we will call this the Elkanah approach. <laughs> Guys? Approach. Next time <laughs> next time your wife is upset, say, hey baby, what you worried about? You got me. <laughs> See how that works for you. I learned that at church. <laughs> <laughs> um, But I want you to understand that phrase, that attitude. Hey, baby. You got me. What else do you need? That's why we have men's ministry in churches. But in essence, in essence, in essence, in essence, essence, he was saying, listen, you, you hit the husband lottery. What else do you need? Um <laughs> I will remember, uh, I'll remember till I don't know, until I forget it, I guess. But <laughs> one time in student ministry, I was talking to a middle school girl, and I said, When have you felt the loneliest in your life? And this was the quote and it's close, when I sat by myself at the table with all the other girls. It is possible to be lonely in a crowd. And Hannah's living in a house with kids, (laughs) with a sister wife, and a husband, who, even though we just gave a hard time, is is not bad to her. And yet, she's still feeling lonely and discouraged. And so the question is, how does she stop, and how does she get out of it? And that's what we're going to talk about next week, because we're out of time, And I think I've done enough damage (laughs) for all of us in relationships this week. So anyway, let's pray and we will be done. God, you're a God who is good to us. And we thank you for the moments in Scripture that we can laugh at other people. (laughs) Um, Because the reality is all of us understand. And so Lord, be with us as we continue to strive to, to connect to you in ways that are healthy, that will produce the fruit that you want to see in us that can't happen unless we do connect. And so, God, I thank you for each person that's here. I thank you that in the midst of a storm that has taken place across just the southeastern part of the U.S., that we have been fortunate enough to be able to be here tonight. Whether we realize it or not, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to be able to get here. It's a blessing to be able to see each other. It's a blessing to be able to spend time together and laugh and pray. And so, God, help us as we move from this place to stay connected to you, connected to one another, and celebrating that gift, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.